People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. I'm here with Harvey Wells today, and I'm really excited to hear his story. And again, I miss Stephen. He's still on location directing a film in Bulgaria, so we wish him the best. But uh, anyways, well, Harvey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and uh, I miss Stephen, too. He's one of my uh, film heroes, and I would love to meet him sometime. Well, Harvey, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, I understand that you've traveled throughout the country in an RV while you do home dialysis. Well, yes. uh, For the last uh, couple of years, I started on dialysis in January of 2006 after... Uh, being, I had a transplant for eight years, and uh, it failed uh, in January of 2006. And I went in center for a year and a half, and then I started my training on next stage, and started doing home dialysis. And almost immediately, uh, my life just seemed to turn around. I started feeling better. I was healthier. I got more active, and um, I just couldn't believe the difference in the two types of dialysis. And I got to thinking, prior to my transplant, I was doing PD, and I did not have the issues I was having in center. And it just struck me. I'm like, well, this is because I'm doing it daily. So I started looking around, and, you know, that's what I found out. It's the daily therapy that really helps you. It's not the, uh, the form or the method. It's just basically the fact that if you have your dialysis on a daily basis, you're going to feel better and you're going to be healthier. When you were in center, what kind of problems did you experience? Well, I was uh, like a lot of dialysis patients. I had low energy. I was sick. I cramped. You know, as soon as I got out of that chair, I headed down to Sonic and got me a huge iced tea to replenish the fluids that had been, I had spent four and a half hours draining out of me. And um, it it was just an endless cycle. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel good. I was sick a lot. As soon as I'd get home from my treatments, I would uh, either go to bed or sit in my chair and go to sleep. And I just, I really had little energy to do hardly anything. The next morning was like, okay, I feel okay. But then the next day you had to go to dialysis. Had to go to dialysis again. So what was your life like at that time? Well, it pretty much was. I woke up every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday morning. I went to dialysis. I came home. I went to sleep. The next day, I would probably mope around the house a little bit. I didn't do a lot of anything. I'd get out every now and then. And occasionally, I would try and travel. I'd go visit my family in North Carolina and schedule a treatment for the centers up there. But I just didn't feel... I mean, I was okay, but I didn't feel like... You were living. Like I was living. I was just going to dialysis every other day. And then when I started on the home therapy and I started doing it six times a week, I mean, like like on Thursday of training, I told my wife, I said, you know, I said, I'm going to love this. I said, I can already feel so much better on this. And I I remember it was almost like a, 
an aha moment. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And it, you know, and I can remember it like it was yesterday because I remember how I started feeling. And I started, you know, doing some research on this, and it was the the frequency and the daily uh, therapy that really makes the difference. I remember a couple of times when I was in center, the doctor had me come in for a fourth day of treatment from time to time because my fluid, I had put on a lot of fluid, and uh, and occasionally on those weeks where I did the fourth day, I felt okay. But it wasn't something I did on a regular basis. And I was, you know, I always thought of like, well, why don't you come every day if this is supposed to work? Why are you not here every day? So what kind of changes did you notice? Did you just have more energy? Did you just have a better appetite? Did you just (laughs) want to get up in the morning, you know, get out of bed faster? All the all the above. Actually, yeah, the appetite was the first thing I noticed coming back because when I was in center, and I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy, and I love to eat, and I love good food, but I nothing when I was on dialysis, nothing seemed to taste good except stuff I shouldn't be eating. So, you know, the first thing I think that I noticed was my appetite improved, I had more energy, I felt better, and I wasn't, I wasn't sitting around saying, woe is me. You know, I tell people that... Uh, um, when I was in center, I probably was one of the most non-compliant patients in there. And I used to tell them, you know, they would always yell at me about my fluid gain. And I would tell them that my job's to put it on and their job's to take it off. And sometimes I think uh, they took that pretty serious because when I was cramping while they were taking it off, they were pretty slow to come to my aid and comfort. You deserved it. I probably did. Well, but um, Not with that. Uh, you know what? People don't realize that I was on dialysis for 12 years and three of them were on hemo. And I had the same problem. I mean, it was that vicious cycle. And uh, I was on like a thousand cc's of fluid a day. And I don't know if anybody understands how hard that is who hasn't experienced it and you know you eat a little bit of salt and it throws you all off and it's so easy the diet is there to make you fail I, I get upset when the healthcare professionals say you need to be I'm like you try it as they're you know popping popcorn in the waiting room and you know you can smell the donuts and everything and there's no consequence. Yeah, the the fluid restriction when you're on dialysis, to me, I just, I mean, I understand that it's it's for your benefit. I mean, I don't dispute that. I mean, I know that you, and, and everybody that I know that's on dialysis, I mean, they do their best to control their intake of fluid. I mean, and they do different things, you know, just simply to control it. But to try and limit your fluid consumption to a thousand cc's a day or whatever they have you on is, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't do it. You know, God bless you those that can. But I mean, it, it, it some people it's just very difficult to do. And I, you know, there were times that they've had to take off as many as eight liters off of me, in between sessions, and that gets pretty painful. Yes, it's a, so you had a transplant for several years. Is I did. Uh, my wife was my donor, and this was 1998. Uh, it was done at Ohio State University, and it lasted for eight years. Don't really know why it failed. It just did, and I had to go back uh, on dialysis. But I look back, and I'm thankful for each of those That's days for that eight years that I didn't have to do dialysis. And I told somebody if I had to get another transplant, it only lasted two weeks. That'd be two weeks that I don't have to do dialysis. I, I have found that the daily dialysis and doing it at home and doing it on my own schedule uh, has given me the freedom to live my life again the best that I can. 
but it is uh, it does put me back on schedule. I, I do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I do my treatments. I'm very compliant with uh, getting my treatments in. Uh, you're known throughout the country for traveling in your RV and uh, doing home dialysis in your RV. Did you have an RV before you went on home hemo, or was this an inspiration from home hemo? It was sort of like a combination of two things. When I went back on dialysis, I think the one thing that living with kidney disease does for every person is it helps you to realize your own mortality, if you will. I mean, I tell people that being healthy is just a slow way of dying. <laughs> and uh, and But what what I really wanted to do was, I guess, write my final chapter, if you will, and to spend as much time as I could with my family. My, I have three children and four grandchildren. And I had made a conscious decision that I wanted to spend as much time as I could with them because you, you don't know how long you're going to have. And you got to live every day like it's your last. And so um, the first summer that I was on dialysis, I scheduled a month's worth of treatment at a center in Naples, Florida. And uh, I rented a condo down there. And I had the kids with me just about every day that I was down there, my grandkids and my daughter. And uh, the next summer, I was on next stage. And so I spent two months down in Florida, and I rented the same condo and uh, had the kids with me just about every day. But at the end of the summer, I told my daughter that I'd like to take a road trip with my two oldest grandsons. And I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan, and uh, so I wanted to go to their uh, training camp up in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, so we planned on spending three weeks on the road. And I bought a, a conversion van and to travel in. And so we traveled up the East Coast, and uh, we went to Cleveland. And coming back, we went to uh, the aquarium in Chattanooga, saw Lookout Mountain, Ruby Falls, then over to see Elvis in Graceland, and he was resting. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we went and spent some time with some friends on a farm in Arkansas. And we were, it was about 3,500 miles, and uh, we just lugged my machine into the hotel. I'd do my treatments each evening, and, and we just had a great time. It was just me and my grandsons. And I told my wife when I got home, I said, you know, I said, next year, I said, that was such a great trip with the boys. I said, what I'd like to do next year is travel all over the United States. And I said, but do something a little bit different. I'd like to stop and talk to other dialysis patients and help them understand that there is a therapy out there that could potentially be better for them. And I really hadn't done that much study at that time on, you know, the different modalities. And uh, I, I knew when I started on uh, home hemo and I, I had done PD prior to it, you know, I knew I didn't feel the same when I was doing the PD. And I was about ready to ask my doctor to put me back on PD when I found out that my center was offering the next stage. So anyway, so I said, what I'd like to do is stop at different dialysis centers and you know, at least show them what I do because I knew that not many people were doing it. You want to give them hope. Well, yes, I get. Yeah, yes, exactly. An illness is too demanding when you don't have yeah. hope. And yeah, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were asking, "What is it about next stage users that that they have this um, sense that they want to share their story with people?" And I'm like, "Well, I think what it is, is that when you've lost something and you've get, gotten it back." I mean, the feeling that you have, and, and I know how dialysis patients feel. I mean, they feel like, 
you know, the only way that they're going to be relieved of their suffering is to pass away. I mean, I really think that that's... Or a transplant. Or a transplant, but... No, I hear that too. The transplant, you know, it just seems so iffy to so many people. Some people think that they get a transplant and they're cured and... Yeah. You know, this is my third transplant and my first two didn't work. I think dialysis patients or kidney patients in general... Uh, the analogy I like to use is they feel like they have had every bad hand in life that can be dealt to them. A lot of them will look at, you know, me and they'll say, well, yeah, I know it works for you, but it probably won't work for me. And I think a lot of kidney patients have that mentality going into a lot of things. I see it in a lot of their faces. I mean, I think what's haunting the most to me is when I see especially younger dialysis patients that have dealt with it since their early years that have lost their teen years. And, you know, I I just can't imagine struggling with that. I talked to one girl. She was 23 years old. I think she had already had three transplants. And she had lived pretty much her whole teenage years. And you could just see in her face she was just ready for it all to be over. And, you know, I'm sitting there trying to inspire her. And her mother's sitting there. And, you know, a mother will do anything for their child to try and get them to live. And, you know, you see that and it just, for some reason or another, that just haunts me when I when I think of that image because there are so many people out there and I see so many more and more young people that are on dialysis. It just, you know, it's it's really painful. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm 57 years old. I found out I had kidney uh, problems when I was 18 when I went to join the Navy and I was classified 4F. You know, during the Vietnam era, that wasn't a bad deal. <laughs> And you almost felt, yeah, thank God I don't have to go into the service. But, you know, it's something I did miss out on. I wanted to go in the service. My dad was a uh, was a career army uh, army man, and I wanted to go into the service. But um, my kidney disease didn't manifest itself until I was 45 years old, and I had high blood pressure. And and but I look back and I see these young people that are going through it now, and I mean they have their whole lives. I met with a young man. In Mississippi, a couple of weeks ago, he's 27. He's had, I think he's had three transplants. He's hoping for a fourth. He doesn't know if he's going to get it, but he's quite happy with his life. He's uh, graduated from college and a very personable young man. And I just, you know, I, I see stories of hope out there, and I know there's stories of hope. I met a guy the other day that's been on dialysis for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see that, and you know that people are out there living with this, and we got to stick together, the ones who know how to live well with the disease, to be able to inspire those who haven't quite figured it out. Uh, yes, yeah, and, and I, yeah. You know, it is. It's that peer support is so important because a lot of times, and I think we had this discussion, was a patient can tell a patient something to do, and the professional's been trying to tell them it forever. And the patient listens to the patient. And it's because they trust, they know we've been there. And then they they just have that courage because when you don't feel good, it takes twice as much effort to do everything. And it's just easier not to do anything. And that really can harm you when you have kidney disease, when you don't take action. Right. Well, I look back, I look at my life now and I say, and you know, sometimes I'm like, what are you doing out here? I mean, you should be at home (laughs) enjoying the comforts of your chair with your nice plasma screen TV, you know, and not dealing with coach breakdowns and, you know, and, you know, the expense of gasoline and what have you. But what I have found is that each week that that I do what I do, 
when I'm when I'm visiting centers or when I'm talking about my disease and how my life is so much better now than what it was before I went on daily, I mean, I'm energized and I feel good and I feel like I'm actually out there helping people and I certainly hope so. I told my wife last year when I started out on the trip, if I can change one person's life and it's as dramatic as the change was in my life, I said, this whole trip would be worthwhile. And, uh, I mean, that's all I look for. I look for one life at a time. and uh, One person at a time. And, you know, there's nothing more powerful or more rewarding than a psychological paycheck. And whenever <laughs> <laughs> you see somebody, you know, wow, wow, you gave me some hope currency. Yeah. Because hope currency is so valuable, especially when you have a chronic illness. It just makes you feel so good. And then it becomes addictive. You're like, I want to do that again. And, you know, one of the things I have a question is, is that when you wanted to go on home dialysis, what did you do? How did you go advocate for it? Um, how did you approach your doctor? How, how did it work? Because I think a lot of people listening may not know what is the next step if they want to understand more about this treatment option. Well, the first thing, I, I mean, as soon as I found out about the treatment, I mentioned something to my doctor about it. And at that point, he wasn't, either he wasn't aware of it or we weren't offering it at our clinic. I don't know whether he was blowing me off, but he said he would check into it. The first summer I was in Florida, the nephrologist that looked in after me at the at my transient center, we talked a little bit about home dialysis, and she told me that it was covered by Medicare and that I needed to continue to pursue that with my nephrologist back in Texas. And so I did as soon as I got home. My fistula was still developing. I mean, so there were a couple of things going on, but uh, by the time that I was ready to go on, I found out that we were offering it. And at that point, like I said, I was about ready to ask him to let me at least try peritoneal dialysis again. But then I found out we did offer the machine. And so as soon as and so I called the nurse and talked to her about going on, she said, well, I needed to talk to my doctor and get him to okay it. And then, you know, she would start my training. And uh, as soon as my doctor came in the next day, I said, I talked to the nurse at the other office and I said, I want to do this machine. And he said, I think you'll be an excellent candidate. And it was no problem. Were you one of the first patients? I was the third so, patient in my center. So I think that's really a lesson for all patients is that if you want some kind of treatment, you have to push your provider to offer it. Absolutely. <laughs> now, my understanding, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm new to a lot of this, but all centers should be informing all patients of the different modalities of treatment that are out there. I think sometimes uh, that there's a couple of reasons why that message isn't getting across. I mean, if you're being discussed what your different options are on the time that you're being told that you're having to go on dialysis, I don't think a lot of patients hear yeah, What's yeah. being said, all you hear is you're going to have to go on dialysis. To me, I, I remember when the doctor called me and I was sort of prepared. But when he called and told me I had to either have a PD catheter implanted, this is before my transplant, or I was going to have to have a, a, um, a fistula or a graft put in for hemodialysis. I mean, I didn't hear everything that went on in that conversation. All I heard was, that my kidneys had failed and I was going to have to go on dialysis. But I think what I heard was my kidneys have failed and I'm going to die. I think that's what you hear, regardless of what's said. Yeah, it's the process because you don't, you know, you may know that there's dialysis, but at that point, once you understand your kidneys have failed, 
you're, you just don't really have the strength. You're like, well, I have the strength to even do this. And that's your initial thought. And then they're telling you to go have an access put in. And it's just like, no, I can't. I mean, you know. I told the I doctor, I said, I don't like any of those options. And he says, well, you certainly don't like the third one then. You know, and that's that's pretty much how you had to look at it. And at that time, I was fortunate enough or unfortunate uh, but my wife's uncle was on peritoneal dialysis, and he explained the process to me. So, I mean, I had good information. This was 1998 um, that I, I was able to at least get the information. I was able to make, at that time, an informed decision, and I think it was a good decision because, quite honestly, if you're going for a transplant, and I tell people this all the time, if you're going for a transplant— you want to be as healthy as you can be when you get that transplant because it gives that transplant the best opportunity for success. To me, the best opportunity for a transplant is if you're doing daily frequent dialysis. If you know who your donor is going to be and you know it's going to be a short time period, I'm a big proponent of PD because it's easy to learn. It's not that difficult. I mean, some of the things sound you know, like you don't want to do it, but it's it's just for a short period of time. Uh, yeah, I was on PD for nine years, and I loved um, when I went dancing, you know, because we left the fluid, and I'm like, oh, I'm having a tidal wave. You learn ways to adapt. To sure, it. sure. And um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. When I went on peritoneal, I was the first child to ever go on PD in California. Is that right? Wow. And I remember after a couple of weeks the difference I felt from when I had to go in center and I had the vicious cycle, but I was only 14 at the time, but it was, it made a difference between me being able to ice skate and not being able to ice skate. Wow. And um, I was able to do the thing I loved. I was able to, you know, pretend I was Dorothy Hamill. Wow. And, you know, and that was important. Or Mary, um, I mean, I was trying to be Christy Yamaguchi, but that was before Christy Yamaguchi. <laughs> so, um, but it is, it's so important that uh, we have hope Exactly. And, you know, and, and I don't, I, I tell people I am not critical of in-center dialysis because, first of all, the, the technicians and nurses and patient caregivers that work in dialysis centers, to a large degree, they suffer from the same six times a week or some even seven days a week, no holidays. As far, there's no holiday from the disease. And I think, you know, they give a lot of their time and their effort. I thought I got great care when I was in the dialysis center. My goal to get out of the center was not because I was getting bad care. Uh, I didn't like being tethered to a machine. But if I had to be tethered to a machine, I wanted to do it at home right. and uh, control my own life. And, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about the cannulation process. And I'm like, I was the biggest chicken in the world when it came to oh, cannulation. You know, you need to mention that before we close. Did you start sticking yourself? Absolutely. And my first goal when I went home was my wife was going to be my caregiver, and I was going to be just like a patient in center, except I was going to be at home, and my wife was going to be the one taking care of me. It just didn't turn out like that. <laughs> uh, after I found out that I could cannulate myself and I could do it myself, I got to tell you, that's the biggest uh, feeling of liberation I think I've ever had because it finally went on like a light in my head. I can do this. Right. And I tell people, and I, I know some people cringe when I say it, but you have to learn to do certain things in life. And the person that's sticking you this week in center was, could have been flipping hamburgers last week. And they've learned how to do what they're doing. 
And, I, and I, not that flipping burgers is a bad thing. I mean, all my children have worked at McDonald's, so I'm not a, I'm not against that. I, I mean, honest work is honest work. So that's I use it as an analogy to say that people can be trained. People are trained, and the people that work in center are trained. And nobody's going to be as good at sticking you as you're going to be at sticking you. So the first time you went to go stick the needle in the skin, mm-hmm. what was going through your mind? I don't know that I thought about it all that much, but other than let's see if I can get this done. Yeah. yeah. And it did. Actually, the first needle just slid right in. I tell people and this makes them cringe, too, but it slid <laughs> in like a hot knife through butter. I mean, it just went right in. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, and my brother's on dialysis now. And, um, and the first time I saw him stick himself, I, I told him, I said, you don't know how gross that looks. <laughs> and I do it every day. <laughs> That's great. Well, Harvey, I just want to tell you how brave you are and a pioneer of helping other patients find hope. And thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, I look forward to hearing all your future journeys across the country. Well, I'll certainly keep you up to date. And I appreciate all that uh, you do with your renal support network. I know I get a lot of my information. I check it out when I'm at home. I check it out just about every day because it's a good one-stop shopping network. And uh, we can see what's happening with different issues and what have you. And uh, I, I, I really don't, I mean, I appreciate uh, what you said, but I don't, I don't think I do that much. I mean, I do what I do because I know the difference that uh, daily dialysis has done for me. And I just hope I can change other people's lives. And like we said earlier, one life at a time. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference.